Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, January 11th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss all this news that has been coming out of the WandaVision junket. They held the junket for Disney Plus's upcoming Marvel series, WandaVision, over the weekend. And we got updates from Kevin Feige on Deadpool 3, Secret Invasion, Marvel Phase 4, Black Widow, Black Panther 2, a bunch of stuff. So we're going to be talking about that today. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. So out of the, this whole crew, the only one of us that was virtually at this one division junket is actually HT. But we both uh, got to see the first three episodes of the show. And, uh, you know, no spoilers here. So don't worry. Uh, but if you want to av- avoid our early reaction, you can tune your podcatcher into uh, go to time code. Four minutes and 45 seconds. So here we go. Okay. Uh, my, my reaction is that this is unlike any Marvel thing that has ever come before. Like, it, like in terms of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it just seems so very different. It's so strange. It's so funny. 
uh, the it has like this compelling mystery, but it's kind of like a slow burn. And uh, as a fan of like Nick at Night, as a kid, I used to watch Nick at Night, uh, and, you know, Dick Van Dyke show. I love Lucy, all those kind of things. Their commitment to the details and getting it to feel like those kind of old school sitcoms. It's just like perfect. Um, HT, what did you think? I was really intrigued. And the they are committed to both the details of the sitcom uh, structure and narrative beats and comedic beats as uh, as they are committed to playing out the mystery really slowly to an extent that I was really frustrated and wanted to see more uh, because we did only get the first three episodes. But um, the it's really promising so far. Uh, I was actually quite impressed by how straight they played it as a sitcom uh, early on. And uh, I thought Jack Schaefer is the writer for uh, the series. And I thought for a little bit that they might have hired some real sitcom writers because the jokes really land and they all they feel really at home in that sitcom world. And um, I also think that the uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany uh, really rise the task of being playing those sitcom, like the physical comedy, especially Paul Bettany. It's really funny. I was, yeah. I was a, I think he's probably the MVP for me uh, so far, as, as well as Catherine Hahn, who was just great for all, all the time. But he um, surprised a, a sh- he showed a surprising amount of like physical uh, timing and comedic timing. So uh, that was really fun. And I did catch some flack for this on Twitter, but um, the way that they seed in the mystery uh, sometimes feels somewhat Lynchian. I won't say the entire thing is Lynchian. I feel like my words were misread. On Twitter, I'm just saying this now. Sure. There's like a sprinkling <laughs> of Lynch in there. It's not entirely Lynchian, so I just not yeah. want to clarify that because everyone was racking, raking me over the coals for saying that a Marvel project is Lynchian. It's not Lynchian. It had like some Lynch in there. <laughs> well, it kind of has like that like vibe of like something is not right. Like it's almost like uh, what is that movie? Stepford Wives. Yeah. Is that? The re- reference I'm looking for, I think. Uh, Brad, you did a run a rundown for the site of all the early buzz coming from this these first three episodes at the Junket. Uh, what did people think? Yeah, a lot of people are echoing the exact same uh, sentiments that you and HT have. Uh, talk about how uh, it's surprisingly funny, uh, really stays true to the sitcom format, uh, isn't like trying to parody or be snarky about it, but actually just almost like a love letter to to sitcoms in the way that it's framed, but you know has this intriguing mystery that slowly builds over time. And uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany have this incredible chemistry and it's uh, it's really just this big swing that does some you know bizarre things that you wouldn't expect from marvel and it you know really opens up the you know the the canvas for what you know these new shows that marvel are doing can can be and just how how much more freedom i think that they feel like they have to tell more oddball stories as opposed to delivering on the same you know formula that we've seen in their movies uh pretty often when does WandaVision premiere? Is that this Friday or no? That's Jan- January January fifteenth. Yeah, January fifteenth. Uh, the first two episodes will be available, and then they'll be doing a single episode every week after that. Okay, so th- th- that's all you're going to get for our reactions. Let's go. Let's go on to some of the bits and pieces that we got out of this. Uh, let's start first with. Um, you know, that this show apparently has more visual effects shots than Avengers Endgame. That seems a little surprising. Ben, tell, tell, tell us about that. Yeah, that sounds kind of nuts because Avengers Endgame had, uh, by my count and, and the account of some reporting that made its way around the internet when Avengers Endgame was coming out, 2,496 shots that required visual effects. Obviously, Avengers Endgame 
featured Thanos as a key character, and he was like a, a digital creation. Uh, there's that huge, you know, epic final battle sequence that has basically every single living MCU hero. I mean, there's tons and tons of visual effects in Avengers Endgame. But according to Paul Bettany, who is the, one of the stars of WandaVision, he said, uh, Marvel has always taken big swings, but we're a really big swing. There are more VFX shots in WandaVision than we had in Endgame. That is a big ask. So Avengers Endgame ran for like just over three hours. And the first three episodes of WandaVision are about 30 minutes each. So if the show keeps that consistent uh, runtime all throughout the rest of its series, WandaVision will ultimately end up being about four and a half hours. So I guess it's not like totally unreasonable that uh, they'll end up having more visual effects over a longer period of time. But um, still, you know, kind of impressive. And, and the one other uh, interesting piece of information here is that uh, Matt Shackman, who's the director of uh, WandaVision, said that Kevin Feige wanted to make it really clear from the beginning that this show uh, would basically just be as big as uh, or as Marvel as anything that's a, that they've ever made. And it will actually include some of the biggest set pieces that they've ever done. And so that, I mean, mm-hmm. is like maybe arguably more interesting than the number of visual effects because you know we've seen what 20 something movies and tons and tons of set pieces within those films and the idea that this show this show with this weird sitcom framing and all the stuff is going to include some of the biggest set pieces they've ever done seems like kind of a big deal yeah this this is kind of shocking to me after i've seen the first three episodes i'm not going to say that the show feels small in any way like there's you know obviously you know, Wanda has her powers. Vision has his powers. It like there is visual effects in here. It almost feels like practical at times. It like feels like I Dream a Genie or Bewitched practical, but it doesn't feel. You know, there's no big set pieces going on in the first three episodes. Uh, but I'm I'm sure that you know things are going to heat up during during the course of the series. So uh, I don't know. That's uh, HG. Does this sound crazy to you that this is going to have some some huge set pieces? A little bit, although in my interview with Matt Shackman, which you can find on SlashFilm.com, he did talk about having uh, the skill set for both that sitcom um, aspect of the show and the big set pieces because of his Game of Thrones experiences. He didn't go into how big those set pieces were, but I'm assuming they're Game of Thrones size in some way, which is pretty big. Um, I was a little, yeah, but considering like the first three episodes we've seen so far, it is a little surprising. The practical effects are the extent of the the effects that we've seen. I wonder if Paul Bettany is including practical effects in his sort of uh, describing of the effects for WandaVision 2. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know how I feel about it, like going so big uh, at the end. I kind <laughs> of enjoy it being on the scale that it is. Yeah, I'm actually very curious how you know, fans of Marvel are going to take this series because I don't think this is, I don't think these first couple episodes are exactly what they're, expecting from a marvel tv show but i don't know okay uh what else do we have on this docket we oh let's talk about um how the marvel studios tv shows are influenced by the mandalorian brad you wrote this up for the site what do we know indeed um so there's actually a couple different ways that marvel studios will be taking a cue from the success of the mandalorian uh the first one is that even though wandavision didn't utilize this technology um the future marvel cinematic universe shows uh, will be utilizing the stagecraft technology that the Mandalorian employed, which creates uh, those immersive in-camera 360-degree uh, digital environments that appear on these massive 
uh, LED screens that are built around certain practical elements that allow them to, you know, uh, shoot in various sci-fi fantastical locations without uh, building these huge sets or waiting for post-production to complete uh, large visual effects heavy environments. So we'll see um, how that is used further down the road with the series that are in development and coming um, soon. The other way that Mandalorian is influencing these Marvel shows is in how they will be released because uh, the Star Wars show, when it debuted on Disney Plus, famously went against the grain of having an entire season released at once in a bingeable format. You know, most of the shows we see an entire season drop, people talk about it for a bit and then they move on. But Mandalorian was released week after week. And so we were able to sit with what happened in the episode and preserve mysteries and theorize about what was happening next and, and gave us more of a chance to talk about stuff and create more anticipation and excitement. Uh, and Marvel really liked that. And I'm sure Disney Plus does too, because then it means they get to keep their subscribers around for extra weeks because the shows are spread out over a longer period of time. So starting with WandaVision, um, the, the Marvel shows will be released in a weekly format. Uh, as I said before, January 15th will be when we get the first two episodes of WandaVision and then one new episode each week after that until the, the entire roster is done. And then Falcon and the Winter Soldier picks up in March and so on and so forth. So uh, it sounds like they, um, Kevin Feige just really, really liked that idea of going back to, you know, the traditional television format of giving fans something to look forward to. And, you know, I, personally, I really liked, liked having Mandalorian like that because I feel like um, with the exception of the first season of Westworld, we haven't really had a show um, since Lost that really gave us this like week to week anticipation and excitement and, you know, mysteries to think about and stuff to talk about. And so I, I like going back to this format of you know, not having everyone feel like they need to be forced to watch everything at once and like be very careful about spoilers and then talk about it for a week and then, all right, move on to the next thing. I, I kind of wonder, like, because Marvel's big thing is, you know, these big movies where it's like these big event and everybody sees it in one weekend and then everybody talks about it. And then it, it like it, I guess Marvel's well, I guess what I'm trying to say is Marvel's uh strategy so far has been kind of like the binge model or like similar to the Netflix binge model of like you know they do all this huge advertising to to advertise this one weekend event and then people watch it that weekend and that's it. Um I'm wondering do you think do you think there was a change here because it's very hard to tell reading between Kevin Feige's uh words here. Do you think that there was the possibility that they were going to do a binge model and they changed it because of the Mandalorian? Or do you think like, what do you think? I don't know. Yeah. You know, Cause he, he does. T um, he talks about um, wanting to quote unquote eventize it. And so I, I think that this is something that I think Kevin Feige was probably for rather than Disney plus, you know, having you wanting to push him uh, to do it because at the end of the day, I mean uh, like, all, all movies essentially you could say have you know a, the the bingeable thing because they just mark it all you know leading up to it here's the movie and then moving on but at the same time basically with this release structure is you're talking about every week you know generating new buzz you know so so you'll they'll get nine uh, eight or nine weekends straight where everyone is like oh what happened on WandaVision this week what happened on Falcon and the Soldier this week as opposed to just that first week weekend you know here's the box office here we're talking about it you know so if anything I think it's it'll create more excitement. Yeah. And you also wrote this article about Kevin Feige was talking about how WandaVision will hopefully expand the definition of what a Marvel Studios project can be. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this isn't really just about WandaVision, but WandaVision kind of creates this perfect introduction for what they want to do with these new Marvel TV shows. Because um, Kevin uh, Feige, while talking to HT, um, addressed the idea of this happy accident that WandaVision is now the first Marvel show out of the gate. Because originally it was supposed to be Falcon and the Winter Soldier back in October, but because of COVID production delays, they weren't going to be ready in time. So WandaVision gets to go first. And it's kind of cool because WandaVision is this show that is playing with the medium of television uh, and, you know, uh, digging into like the tropes of sitcoms and whatnot. And so the fact that Marvel's first TV show is one that plays with that medium, pays homage to it, but also does something that is inherently Marvel is kind of cool because it ushers in this whole new era of what Marvel can do with uh, TV shows. And really for them, what it's about, uh, Kevin Feige says, is, is that these upcoming shows and the movies are all about exploring different styles uh, and genre. And so he said he wants to keep expanding the, uh, the definition of what a Marvel Studios show or movie can be. And so I think with not only with the shows, but how the shows tie into these movies, uh, we'll see you know exactly how they intend to do that. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, HT talking to Kevin Feige. Uh, she did have an interview with him. She also interviewed, uh, HT mentioned that she interviewed Matt. We'll put links to both of those interviews in the show notes. If you want to go read them, you can find them there or at slashfilm.com. Uh, but you also mentioned, uh, you know, how this pandemic has affected the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that's something that Kevin Feige was asked about at the junket. Ben, what did he say? Well, it sounds like it kind of, I mean, for obviously nobody wanted this to happen, but it seems like a, a pretty decent time for this to happen in the grand scheme of uh, Marvel programming overall. He said, uh, if the run we had in 2018 and 2019 had gotten disrupted this way in the buildup to Endgame, it would have been a much bigger headache. Uh, with these projects, it works well. And he basically said that the only that the pandemic, the only effect it really had on these uh, Disney Plus shows was shifting the release dates. And his quote was by a matter of weeks. So it doesn't seem like anything really got bumped too bad. And, and even as Brad mentioned, the uh, production delays on Falcon and Winter Soldier, that's still going to be, I think, the second show out of the gate, right, uh, from uh, at Disney Plus. So um you know, it's not that big of a, of a delay on that front either. So, um, yeah, I think, I think they kind of got lucky in terms of, uh, you know, just having closed the book on this huge chapter of, uh, what they were doing, doing over at Marvel studios. Yeah. They kind of lucked out there. Uh, Falcon and winter soldier will hit on March 19th, 2021 and Loki will follow that sometime in May. And as for the movies, black widow is set to open May 7th, uh, uh, chi is coming July 9th and Eternals on November 5th. And that's followed by Spider-Man three or whatever it ends up being called on December 17th. And uh, yeah, that that's like the whole year of Marvel. I'm wondering how that's, if that's going to be affected in any way. Uh, I know Kevin was also asked if Black Widow would actually hit theaters in May. HD, what did he say? He confirmed that they're on track to have Black Widow hit theaters on May 7th, 2021. Uh, that's a year past its original uh, set date for May 2020. But uh, he said, essentially, uh, don't ask me week to week what's going on to happen in the world. But uh, as long as things essentially are going well, uh, he plans to keep Black Widow for <laughs> theatrical release date in May 2021. What is his definition of going well? Because I'm looking at the COVID numbers here in California, and uh, it doesn't look like they're going well. 
I don't know. Well, he said, and until this past year, things have gone remarkably well. And my hope is that the world gets back on track. So, you know, he's being optimistic, I'm guessing. And, you know, with the vaccine rolling out, uh, I think he's hoping that there will be enough people vaccinated by the time May comes around. Yeah. I mean, there are like movie theaters open in the United States. There was a lot that actually showed Wonder Woman, uh, 1984. Um, Ben, are, are movie theaters open in your neck of the woods in Florida? I would assume they probably are because Florida is like completely open at this point. Uh, I would guess yes, but I have not uh, <laughs> actually looked into it because I won't, would not be attending personally. So I've not really had a reason to look, but um, I think you, you raise a good point. I should look that up and I'll get back to you with a finalized answer before this recording is over. Here's the question, Ben. If, if Black Widow did come out in theaters only in, in May... Mm-hmm. Would you rent out a movie theater like with like just you like, you know, because they, they do that like at most movie theaters now, like you can rent out a movie theater for not that. I mean, I guess it's a co- like 150 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Would you be up for that? Or like, is that something you wouldn't even be willing to do at this point? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think much has changed really since last year. I think, you know, especially yeah. now, like HT said that, you know, vaccines are rolling out, even though the rollout has been, um, you know, far from ideal so far. I, I like to think that as the year goes on, things are going to just get smoother and, and everybody's going to get a little better at uh, everything that that goes along with that. So I feel like the end is in sight and I'm just not going to risk, you know, going to yeah. see a Marvel movie to and potentially dying because uh, especially now it seems like, you know, things are, are going to be, uh, this year is going to be better than last year. So I'm just... Uh, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm just gonna hunker <laughs> down, you know. Hope, we're hoping so. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that these first few weeks of 2021 was just the hangover from 2020. Yeah. So I, I forget who said it. I I shared it in our Slack channel, but someone said that um, tw- 2020 was copying things from the Marvel movies and had like a uh, after credit scene that was like <laughs> in 2021. So you I know, thought I that think- was funny. I think it was the wise Counting Crows that said, it's been a long December, but there's reason to believe that maybe this year will be better than the last. (laughs) Brad, do you think Black Widow is only going to be in theaters this summer? I only want to talk about Counting Crows from here on out, so I declined. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's it's tough because I... uh, we're, there are rumblings right now that have not been confirmed or anything like that, that No Time to Die might end up shifting from April. And so I think that right now we're at a point where they're probably considering what to do with uh, spring movies, since it's clear we're not really going to be quite uh, out of this in the spring, despite the vaccine being distributed. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's it's a toss up. Um, I, I could see them potentially at this point, maybe considering a simultaneous theatrical and Disney plus release, maybe um, after wonder woman, 1984. But I, I feel like uh, Disney and Marvel really want to make sure that that's like an exclusive big screen experience. So I wouldn't be surprised if they held off. I just don't know how far you can push all this. Like it's, it's a game of dominoes, especially when you have Disney, because like once you push one thing, then the next has to get pushed and then the next has to get pushed. And it's just like, you know, Everything Disney just has like this huge schedule for many years. I don't know. Anyways, okay, let's move on. Let's talk about just to to put a bow on this whole conversation. uh, There are theaters that are open near me, like within a twenty minute drive of of me now. So they they are open in Florida. (laughs) Of course they are. 
Okay, uh, let's talk about some other Marvel projects. At that Investors Day, they announced Secret Invasion, but not as a movie, as a TV series. Uh, apparently, it's going to be smaller than the, the the big comic event series. Brad, tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, for those who don't know, Secret Invasion is a huge comic event uh, in Marvel Comics. Um, it has this overarching story that finds the scrolls impersonating Avengers and invading Earth, and it crosses over into all the different individual comic series. Uh, includes Iron Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy, Deadpool, all these characters. Obviously, that's kind of difficult to pull over for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because even though they now have the rights to Fantastic Four uh, and X-Men and Deadpool, they, um, they're not established in the MCU yet. So using them in this capacity just doesn't uh, work. And so Kevin Feige confirmed that, uh, that we won't really see a character roster on the same scale as Endgame. But he says, quote, um, it's not that, but it very much is a showcase for Sam Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn and tapping into the paranoia elements of the Secret Invasion comic series that was great with the twists and turns that it took. So that's certainly our focus more than can we cram more characters than Endgame. So it sounds like uh, you know we'll still see how they utilize the shape-shifting scrolls and create mistrust and provide these twists uh, and showing that certain uh, characters that we're familiar with probably aren't who we, we think they are at various points. But it's just not going to be as big as as it was in the comics. Yeah, and I think that quote comes from comicbook.com. Yes. Uh, the, I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you think, I mean, obviously, he's just answering the question, like, will there be as many as in the comic? And, like, of course, the answer is no. But do you, like, how many big, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe superheroes do you think we might actually end up seeing in Secret Invasion? If you had to guess. I, I really don't know. You know um, it's. I feel like maybe that's something we'll probably learn more of once the show's like in production and whatnot. And what would be really interesting, actually, now, I just thought of this just now, and I didn't mention this in the story, but it would be kind of cool if they were able to work some way like the the other Marvel shows from Netflix into like saying that maybe like Daredevil was a scroll or something like that. Um, <laughs> those characters didn't really tie into much of the the bigger events of the the Marvel. Uh, movies but that that could be an interesting way of, of explaining those characters you know potential absence from the mcu I, I don't know that's just me spitballing and thinking of something random but uh, i don't because i feel like you have to have some if you want to make it a big deal but there are plenty of supporting characters that you can have be scrolls because so far we've seen that you know nick fury and maria hill you know were um scrolls at, at, in the credit scenes from spider-man far from home uh obviously ben Mendelssohn's character um talos was one was one of them along with his wife so it, it kind of leaves it open so that any any new characters we meet and even some of the older familiar characters could be scrolls at some point there's even a possibility that there are points in marvel cinematic universe history that we know that maybe there was a scroll pretending to be somebody but only temporarily to you know, accomplish something that they needed to be done in order to like help with their invasion or something like that. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I think with daredevil and the Netflix shows, I think that's just going to be explained away that they were in one of these other uh, realities, these dimensions that we're kind of like entering this point in the Marvel cinematic universe where we're introducing the concept of a multiverse. Yeah, that's true. I I think they're just going to explain it away that way. Plus, you can't play with it in any way. Like, you can't have Daredevil show up. Like, if Daredevil showed up in the show, you and I and everybody would be like, oh, that's definitely a scroll, right? <laughs> like, Maybe. Would, Maybe. I don't know. It, it, 
I think it would be obvious, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, Kevin Feige's wording here, especially calling it kind of like this paranoia thriller kind of thing, makes it seem like it's going to be a lot smaller than the comic book series. But uh, I'm very interested to see. And I'm also interested to see why they decided to do it as a TV series and not a movie. Because I know, like, weren't... Am I wrong? Brad, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. But weren't the Russo brothers like being like, we'd do another Marvel movie if we could do Secret Invasion? I don't know if there was ever any like formal talks about them doing that. I think that that was just something that they said that they would like to do if they were given yeah. the opportunity. Not, not that there were necessarily any plans in the works for them to do that. Well, I guess they did Secret Wars. Was the Is Secret Wars and Secret Invasion two different things? I'm sure they are. I believe, I have not read. I believe so. <laughs> so maybe Secret Invasion is leading to Secret Wars, which will be directed by the Russos. So, I don't know. <laughs> just, just throwing that out of my butt. I don't even know the difference between the two. So, uh, okay. Let's get uh, let's talk about Deadpool 3. This is something that apparently is going to happen within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, according to Kevin Feige. H.D., what do we know? Yeah, Kevin Feige basically confirmed that Deadpool 3 will be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He uh, revealed that it will be radar, as has been reported many times over the past couple years, and that they are working on a script now. But Ryan Reynolds, who is overseeing the script that is going to be penned by uh, sister screenwriting duo Lizzie uh, Molina-Loglin and Wendy Molina, um, he is very busy right now, and Kevin Feige said that they likely won't be able to start filming the the uh, the film until after this year. I mean, that makes sense. A lot of stuff is not even filming this year because of all the you know the way they have to film things now in during the pandemic. Uh, this is interesting, though, that Deadpool is actually going to apparently exist within the MCU. Yeah, and I was very skeptical about this until I did read his his direct quote, which did say MCU. So he said, um, again, a very different type of character in the MCU, and Ryan is a force of nature, which is just awesome to see him bring that character to life. So it seems like, yeah, pretty much uh, Feige is, is saying, is confirming it. So, I don't know, it seemed like even in the Fox X-Men universe that they didn't let Deadpool kind of hang out with like any big characters. I mean, of course there were some like some like small cameos and stuff, but they kind of like invent or they didn't invent, but they took these like third tier mutant characters to have him kind of interact with. Do you think who would we love to see Deadpool interact with in the MCU? And oh. can he interact with anybody in the MCU? Because I feel like once you bring those guys in and you put them in the same same screen together, like doesn't it make it too silly? Does it sillify? Oh, you open up a whole can whole of worms too because of the just extreme violence and gore and um, rated our nature of Deadpool. And the, the Marvel projects so far under both Disney and Disney Plus have been relatively family friendly and there's nothing been on that's been on the scale of Deadpool. So uh, yeah, like you like you said, Deadpool has always been kind of adjacent to the X-Men universe. He's, he's mostly been on the fringes, often only referring to the proper X-Men universe through sort of meta jokes. So I wonder if it'll be the same case here. Maybe he'll be popping up through random titles like a sort of Stitch and Lilo and Stitch <laughs> Uh, wait, you, do you remember the Lilo and Stitch advertisements where they put him in all of the Disney movies uh, just like oh, yeah. re- make, wreaking havoc? So maybe that'll be the case for Deadpool. That would be funny if we could see 
what he was doing during all these like famous moments like what you know during avengers endgame like was he in that like whole <laughs> that whole thing uh i imagine it's probably going to be more subdued it's probably going to be like him coming into contact with um you know brad suggested daredevil like him coming into uh, into contact with daredevil making fun of his red suit and then you know kicking him in the balls or something uh brad what do you who would you like to see deadpool interact with in the mcu <laughs> Uh, I mean, probably Spider-Man would be the most fun just because Peter Parker has got is young and, full, and has these, you know, smart aleck quips and stuff. So I think him, you know, running into to Deadpool and them, you know, constantly taking jabs at each other and making these snarky comments would be pretty fun. Uh, I feel like Thor would have a pretty fun reaction to Deadpool <laughs> and that, seeing oh, yeah. Chris Hemsworth yeah. with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, that would be uh, pretty enjoyable. I do. Part of me thinks because like I feel like the one thing that maybe you can't do with Deadpool if you put him in the MCU, at least if it's, if it's not his own movie um, and he's interacting with these other characters is maybe limit his fourth wall breaking. Cause like, even though that's an integral part of the character in the comics, you don't necessarily need it to have Deadpool be this kind of irreverent character who, you know, doesn't really care much about anything and is sarcastic and that kind of stuff. So I feel like that's the only thing really that would, ruin uh not not even ruin but just be weird if he were to suddenly be part of the marvel cinematic universe so i think that they can they can um you know tiptoe around that a little bit yeah i think it's one thing to see him interact or with like characters from the mcu in his own film but like if they ever put him in another film that would be weird right like, it's like i don't think he'd be like a fish out of water but anyways okay we have reached the end of today's episode if you want to read HC has a ton of coverage on the site from her interviews if you want to read her interviews with both the director of WandaVision and you know Marvel head and producer Kevin Feige I'll put links to those in the show notes you can find more of all of her work at slash from the com you can find this podcast on Apple Google Overcast Spotify all the popular podcast apps as always please send your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slash from the com and please rate and read this podcast on iTunes tell your friends spread the word And we'll see you maybe tomorrow or maybe Wednesday. You'll have to find out.